following podcast may be explicit. Yeah, we got ourselves a game con playing for four days straight. We got ourselves a game con, our hygiene it can wait. We got ourselves a game con, our games after fun. And we'll be playing all the night till the morning sun. Thank you for joining us for Season 12, Episode 8 of Happy Jugs RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Jib. This is Stark. And this is Eric from Metagamers Anonymous. Uh, Eric from Metagamers Anonymous joining us on the air. But wait a moment. If you're actually here and we can see your picture, you're not longer anonymous. That, that we, we, it's kind of an inside joke. In fact, from the very beginning, every time we run a contest or anything, we've always made sure everybody gives us their name. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it kind of ruins that whole anonymous thing. Maybe it's because you're recovering yeah. gamer. I don't know. Just yeah, someone recovering meta gamers. Recovering meta gamers. Yeah. Recovering meta- exactly. gamers. That's the right. whole point. Yeah, I got, I got it. it. Look, the first time it is what now. Was- I had to work my way it's through that analogy. It's clever until you try too hard. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's usually funnier once you've explained it three or four that's times. That's me, really. I just I have to. That takes me all. It's the- funnier after you've had three or four beers. Everything's funnier after you've had three. Or four. And more attractive. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I look you guys really look great. good. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, on the whiskey already tonight. Yeah, are exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I had to take the night off for this. So what the hell. Now we were exchanging emails today about because uh, you guys you guys are we're, we're going to talk about it here in a second because you wanted to wanted me to mention something and I'm, and I thought well hell I'll just have you on the show so I like that yeah so do I um, so what what is it that uh, that you wanted me to plug <laughs> see now I don't have to remember it you can remember it all Fair the enough. details that sounds that sounds really flirty by the way what is it you want me to plug for oh you? my oh well my. why did you have that sound bite. I am, I am, by the way, a huge fan, Stu. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Of George Sakai, we all are. <laughs> Who isn't? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tsunami Con. Tsunami Con. That's what we're talking about. Uh, just launched a Kickstarter for it. We're looking at doing an honest-to-goodness uh, freaking Kickstarter, or a convention, gaming convention here in Wichita, Kansas, where they have not these things. Oh, and, really? Uh, you don't so have any there? No, we have other kinds of cons. Nothing that focuses on gaming. Everybody has a game room that hardly anybody shows up to. And so at first we kind of assumed there wasn't really a gamer population here, but a lot of the gamers in the Midwest are pretty insular and kind of stick to their own. And so we found out when we started doing local events with our podcast and our gaming community here that uh, there were quite a few that turned out for them. So we started banding about the idea of a convention, and uh, the public wanted it. So we'll see what happens. We we think conventions are the most important thing ever, so I, I laud that. But uh, you know what you're getting yourself into, deal. right? Oh fuck yeah! It's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now, how are you going to finance this convention? Uh, not much sleep. Oh uh, no, uh, Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah, no, right. uh, that, that's the that's the best part. We're 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 on Kickstarter right now. It's uh, real easy to find. If anybody wants to check out all of the details, of course, on the page and links to everywhere that you need. It's at uh, tsunamicon.org/kickstarter. Best way to get there. And uh, it, you know, it, we're going to make a big deal out of it. You can put I, I, the the big temptation when you start something like this in the, in a midwestern city, I think, is to go. Let's keep it small. Let's keep it simple. Let's just uh, you know let people know we're going to do some gaming. See who shows up for it. If we had to pay for a place, charge a little bit of money. But 
we have had people try to do that in the past. And they try it once, maybe twice, and then it just kind of dies on the vine. So we thought, let's go the other direction. And my motto has always been, go big or go home. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's crazy, but we're, we're doing the whole, the whole shebang. You know, it's, it covers uh, RPGs and board games, card games, miniature games. And we'll do, we're going to have tournaments, and we're going to have cosplay contests, and we're going to have uh, uh, all kinds of, you know, prize drawings and uh, LARPs and all kinds of shit. So and that that's in the ideal world. That's what you want. I mean, I, okay. In an ideal yeah. world, what what would you like to achieve with this? Well, obviously the the real the real goal, the, the subtle you know undercurrent of everything is just. Uh oh, I think your dog ate the cable. Oh, there he is. Oh, he broke up a little bit. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, no, just to kind of connect the gamers here around the area. We've got a a lot of a lot of people here in the region that that uh, are into it, but don't really know seem to know how to connect with other people, and it's obviously a very social hobby. So uh, that's the real goal. Other than that, it's just a matter of making it making it as big as we can, so that it's as as fun as possible for everybody involved. And we we decided to kind of shoot for the moon a little bit. I mean, our basic goal is actually just enough to run the con. You know, we're asking for about a little over five grand on the Kickstarter, and that'll be enough to do everything we want to do that is basically a fantastic gaming con, and then every dollar we make over that just is to make it bigger and better. And we cool. uh, put a couple corporate sponsorships out there that immediately got snagged up by Steve Jackson Games and Reaper Miniatures. Really? Awesome. So, yeah. That is totally awesome. That's impressive. I'm Both of who I think are out of Texas, so that that probably is part of it. It's, it's not too far from home. Uh, yeah, Reaper is definitely in Texas. Um, and I am almost positive that Steve Jackson is as well. The Reaper yeah. is everywhere these days. My God, I, right? They but their offices they are in Texas on their own, right? I mean, that was well. Their, they've had a couple. Yeah. Well, I think their big first big start because I think I backed it. Bones. Yeah. Bones. And now they're kickstarting everything, and they seem to be everywhere. So they're probably paying it back there. You know, they're like yeah. I, I would imagine so, and they've seen they've been very cool about it, very casual. You know, hey, uh, hey, guys, I, you appreciate you buying. They, those co- those corporate sponsorships went like within a matter of hours of launching the Kickstarter, and uh, they picked it up. And I mean, I I didn't have to send them email begging or anything. It was just oh, kinda, really? You didn't court them? They just. I I think that word just got around. You know. Awesome. Uh, so your Kickstarter been, is going now, or is it about yes. to start? How many days do you have left? On Tuesday. Uh, we launched on Tuesday, and we have a six-week campaign. Okay, which what, I'm really regretting at this point. How much are you hoping to raise, or how much do you need to raise? Uh, Fifty-three hundred dollars is the goal. Okay, cool. And if we if we manage that, we have we have our convention. If we, uh, like I said, we and we have some cool stretch goals too. If we get up past that and uh, bring some people in, got can some you, game designers who are interested in coming. Anybody listening who wants to donate, it. can you can you mention its stretch goal at this point, or is it still? Yeah, yeah, we we got a few that are actually on the page. Um, one of the cooler ones is we have uh, we do have some live entertainment here from the area, but we uh, we talked to Mikey Mason, uh, musical comedian Mikey Mason, who uh, uh, is real kind of popular in mm-hmm. gamer circles, especially out east. Right, and uh, we, that's, that's we, uh, twice in as many weeks as he's been mentioned on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, he's actually uh, good. No, just to say, yeah, I heard I heard Jeb on last week, and that was uh, I thought that was kind of funny because he was talking about Fear the Con, and here, you know, I had a chance to come on tonight and talk about a, another convention. Jeb was talking about how how probably important it was not to shoot too big, and I'm trying to say how important it is not to shoot too small. So <laughs> we've got to have got to make it a big deal. Well, I think um, that the nature of 
the two cons is very different. And both of them are, are good and awesome. They're just they're aiming for different things. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're st- we still have to build that community. You know, they, they were working from a community that was there, and they got to build up as the con went on over the years. Right. We're really kind of trying to uh, get the community we already know is here that's come out to our game days and talk to us online and, and see if it works. And obviously, you know, no one wants to say it out loud for obvious reasons, but if, if everything falls through, I mean, that's our safety net. Kickstarter doesn't go. We don't have the money. We don't try to, you know, make, make a con out of it. You know, it's, it's so, you know, we're playing it smart, but... Right. Uh, we, we're keeping the prices down as much as possible to make it a big deal. So I think it'll be fun. And and when and where is it? Have you did you say that? I was shepherding dogs around because one fine. of my dogs decided to wander into the studio for no reason whatsoever. She got stuck in a Which corner t- too. I think she might have been looking for a place to die. <laughs> <laughs> From your lips to God's ears, she's a very old dog. For those of you listening, we we wish no ill on animals. However, this dog is. We don't, I think it's a zombie. She won't die. <laughs> I really do believe she's a zombie. I think she's really she's a the, cyborg dog. She's older. She's older than most people. It's true. Oh. It's true. I'm sorry. So, so <laughs> where and when and when and and, and the deeds? Uh, well, we have a, a beautiful kind of historic downtown district called Old Town here in Wichita, and a lot of the cons around here go to the the nicer, newer hotels that you know charge exorbitant amounts of money and don't give you a whole lot to work with. We decided to go right to the heart of Old Town, to the hotel at Old Town. It's a locally owned establishment, and it's a beautiful, restored hotel. You know, it's an old, old building. And, so the uh, LARPers are going to love it. Do they know what they're oh, getting yeah. into? No. Absolutely no fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. <laughs> they're, they're, they're looking at me cross-eyed every time I walk in the door going, why did we agree to this? We actually... Uh, oh, just wait until after November. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, and our hope, obviously, is to build a relationship with them so we can do it bigger and better next year. My, my goal, really, at this point, isn't so much TsunamiCon 2014 as it is TsunamiCon 2015. Right. You know, making, making that the big fun one. This is kind of our stepping stone and build a relationship with the community and with the hotel. So, yeah, it's going to be November 7th, 8th, and 9th. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd mentioned that yet. <laughs> so, everybody that it might be interested in coming out here, especially if there's any Midwestern jackers to be interested in coming to Wichita, um, the hotel is really nice. We've got some really great rates on rooms. Now, uh, the convention how do really you nice. get to Wichita? Let's see. If I was driving down the one oh one ten, I think it's in America. It, oh yeah. I've heard listen to them. I've heard is as tough as Falls Wichita. So falls Wichita Falls, but it, Wichita is not a Wichita Falls. <laughs> no, no, no. no. And if I fell off the falls, I wouldn't be in Wichita either. Okay. Head we west, are in or, or head east. Yes, go over the big hills. The big hills, right? Yeah, keep going. Yeah, now I'm in. Bur- uh, no, 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 no. Now I'm in Bakersfield. Keep going. Okay. keep going. <laughs> right. Keep going east. <laughs> okay. Keep going east. When you run into the big river, you passed it. <laughs> <laughs> if you hit another ocean, turn around and go back. <laughs> okay, I think I know oh, where it is now, yes. approximately. It's not that bad. I, I mean, it's it really not Wichita's the, fault. It's they're from California. <laughs> it's, it's, it really is the middle of nowhere, but it's a nice middle of nowhere. It's quaint. I uh, no, I think the middle of nowhere is actually Lawrence, Kansas. It's just a college town. That's so. that's not too far away. Okay, that's where oh, really? the rest of my marriage team just just moved to. So now you know where it is, don't you, Stork? I, d- I knew where it was. It's, <laughs> it's funnier if I didn't. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, uh, good luck on the campaign, and uh, thank you. 
And if anyone out there, any listeners uh, are from that place somewhere between here and New York, <laughs> um, you, you should go to the con. Yeah. If it's near yeah. you. Or even if it's... I'll, I'll, uh, if, if it's cool, I'll go ahead and post on the forum, too, and make sure... Absolutely, sure. Yeah, whatever, yeah. I, may, I think I made a happyjacks.org slash tsunami con. I think that goes oh, cool. directly to your Kickstarter. Awesome. Thank you. If it doesn't now, it will when I post this. But I believe I already <laughs> put it up. I would also... and Not like you don't have enough to do, but I would love to have like a weekly journal from you, like... Dave, 27, what have I gotten myself into? What an asshole. Why did I... So the Eagles seemed like nice people, and now they've told told me their lodge is $15,000 a weekend. And I, I'd, uh, I would love to hear the, the trials and tribulations of getting the con up and running, because I know that a lot of people out there have, have need this, want this, and they don't know the, the steps and processes involved, and I think maybe a, a peek behind the curtain might help either way to encourage or discourage people. I actually, it's it's been kind of one of my my guiding principles to try to be transparent about stuff like that because I think anytime I I get to do something or make myself do something that your average Joe doesn't get a chance to do in life, there's always that chance to kind of share the experience a little bit. Yeah. Like I I went I went into a real studio and recorded a blues album a few years ago, so I took cameras in with me and documented the whole thing and did YouTube videos and they were more popular than the album was. <laughs> <laughs> you know can't win but it's really it's it's kind of fun to be to be there and i i i definitely understand what you're asking however i know i haven't slept in like three weeks really <laughs> hmm. i'm doing pretty good i have much caffeine i uh i i, I don't think i'm going to get much sleep in the next few you know it's prepping for this kickstarter and getting it out there and then everything involved in organizing a con and getting events <clears throat> rolling and getting volunteers online and you know, approaching businesses oh. and arranging sponsorships. And, and you're doing this single-handedly? Yeah. Uh, no, but I am doing probably 85% of it. <laughs> and, and let me be clear, you still have a day job, right? Yeah, something like wow, that. Wow, that's, so, <laughs> that's impressive, sir. That's very impressive. I, I tell myself I like to keep myself busy. I also <laughs> tell myself I'm obviously very, very masochistic. I don't really know what the problem is. You're an overachiever. Stu knows all about it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, the new Boggart album. We're recording that. I should mention that because I haven't mentioned that at all. Right. I don't think that we've we're um, we started recording the album in summer of last year, and right. we reco- recorded awesome. it kind of on and off, and then uh, we didn't get it out by fair, and then we had a season of fair where CD sales sucked. Well, and we also had a slew of new songs get written. Right. Which wouldn't have been on the album had it been released by Fair. And so we're now finishing it up, and uh, we'll probably be done recording and begin mixing by mid-July. And then I saw you were posting pictures the last couple of weeks from the studio. Yes, yeah. I've got, I, I, I put um, Instagram on my phone, specifically for that purpose, so I could... Uh, nice. I saw that you had Alley playing bongos. Yeah, that was actually for the the uh, the the song that I played at the beginning of the episode, the little excerpt. Right. Uh, um, I finished the lyrics for that, recorded the whole thing, went in and put a real banjo in it rather than a, like a keyboard banjo, and um, cleaned up the drums. Had Heather do some backing vocals on it, and then I was in here working on it, and Allie comes in and she's like, "I want to do something on it." I'm like, "Okay, here." Take these. Sit there. So uh, there's actually it's it's muted right now. 
But there's actually a track of her playing bongos, or yeah, bongos to the game call. So cool. And nice. and I'll probably put a couple hits in, so I can give that's him fun. credit on the CD. That's how that's how <laughs> Evil Simon that. made all his money. You know, the guy that does <laughs> he he would like play a triangle track on like the back of Def Leppard right. and bury it deep in the mix, and then or he would ch- get money from change two words, so he had songwriting credit. Right, yeah. right. That's all. Um, the other. Uh, so right now there's five songs that are essentially done for the gaming music collection. I'm going to try to get a couple more done so it's more than five. I'm going to try to go for like seven or eight. So A little bigger this time? Yeah, I think. I think. Um, but See, sp- oh, five are finished. Two overachievers. So. They meet across a crowded <clears throat> screen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I got, got our first email, and this came in, and I, I think the guy actually... I think he's listening. Is he listening? He said he was going to listen. Well, he may not know it's hey, him is. yet until he's, we tell him. He's in there. I see him. Um, and I wanted to talk about this and talk about it sort of generally. Um, but would you, uh, as our guest, Eric, would you like to read the first, very first email there? <coughs> sure. I'd be happy to. All right. All right. Uh, featured email from Joel. Right? That one? Yep. Yeah. Maybe I wasn't supposed to put his real name in. Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Go ahead. Greeting, Happy Jack's crew. Regan Avalon here, also known as Joel from Sweden. I guess so it's okay. Did okay. And don't try to make Kimmy do a Swedish chef accent. Didn't work out last time. Going to do an accent. I'd like to request Winnie Draws. I'm like, no. Winnie Draws. No. I like Winnie Draws. And he's reading it on me, so if you <laughs> want to try Windy Drawers. So if you want to send an email, make sure you send it to... <laughs> I wouldn't even try Windy Drawers in the privacy of my own home. That's a, I'm sad to say that I'm not current with a podcast at the moment. When I built by computer a year ago, I lost track of where I was. This led to almost a year's break. I decided to get back into it, starting at episode zero. Yes, that's right. I, re-listened, I re-listening to the entire backlog. Maybe uh, Swedish is his first language. Yes. I'm crazy, but it helps me on my summer job as I can listen to you for eight hours while doing my job. Over the last five or so workdays, I've gone through season five. Now on to my topic. I'm currently running a GURPS game, and I think I'm, about, I'm thinking about having the BBEG spend time with the PCs and be friendly. The BBEG my is prob- the big, bad, evil guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My problem is that I want to drop very subtle clues, but I'm afraid that they will notice too quickly. While the bad guy isn't evil with a capital E... He isn't a nice guy. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Uh, P.S. No, I do not intend to kill the NPCs. They like, I don't do that, dot, 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 all the time. That's it. Short email. So, I, I want to address like his specific question, but I also kind of want to talk about how you handle when you have a bad guy that you're going to introduce to the players. This obviously... I think most GMs who've been GMing for a long time realize if you want to have a big, bad, evil guy and you want him to live, (laughs) don't let him and the party be in the same room. Right. (laughs) Until you're ready for the fight. (laughs) Right. That's the safest thing to do. But are there ways that you can have the big, bad guy come in as an NPC and not draw attention to himself as the bad guy. And what kind of tactics do you use to do that? That's kind of what I want to talk about. And then it, his specific problem. 
Uh, does anyone want to go first? Because I, I do have some thoughts on this, but I, I will defer to you guys. Well, my, my initial instinct is if you use the Stu Venable school of um, of uh, NPC into villain, is you don't know the NPC is going to be a villain until about three or four episodes into your... And then you realize, wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> so they're not going to know at, at first. And I think, I'm being glib, but I think that's maybe the key, is that you have a bunch of NPCs that you, you may or may not be villains, but you don't you don't make a decision. You don't make the call. That way you're not placing any favor on either one of them. And at some point, right. you can decide, either roll dice, or you just or the characters decide for you. Or or they decide that it's one person, and you go, all right, then I'm going to pick the other one. Um, and you know going in that one of them is going to be the villain, but you do not label it. And I think that that will keep it fair on all bounds. You won't be telegraphing it. You won't be playing any NPC to be dropping too many clues. And the, But I, I think that's the safest thing. And it also will be really fun for you as well, because it will be a journey of discovery for you as the GM. I know that that's a technique that I've... Um I've employed before with the caveat to that sometimes I'll reserve who actually turns out to be the big bad evil guy based on the player characters' interactions with those characters. Exactly. So <laughs> definitely, Absolutely. you know, I, I famous for waiting waiting to the last moment sometimes to make a really important decision to get the most dramatic effect out of it based on the story so far. Stu came up with a major plot development for L five R game based on uh, feedback from the forum uh, with Master Higo. And it was something he never intended and arguably made the character infinitely more interesting. And a lot of what happened in the L5R game hinged on that character and his preclusions. I, it was fascinating. But he didn't, go, he didn't set out that way to have Mr. Higo be who he was. I don't want to have spoilers. But. Right. <clears throat> I don't remember sp- precisely when. But yeah, the, a decision was made at, some, at one point about, about that character and his relationships. But. That's very vague and not helpful at all. No, well, no. Uh, <laughs> only, only to reinforce the fact that you hadn't made any decisions about the character right. until, uh, I don't know, five sessions in. And right. then you'd made a decision. And it affected the whole game. Everything hinged on that. Well, I have noticed, for, for some practical advice for the GM who does have the guy he wants to be the bad guy, and he wants to be brave enough to have the player characters meet the guy before he intends for the guy to die, I would... It's hard to give very specific advice because the dynamics of your table with the GM and the players uh, is going to inform how you go about deceiving those players into thinking that this is not a bad guy. Um, currently in my game, this it's kind of like it's kind of like Schrodinger's NPC. Once you've observed the NPC, you've changed it. Mm-hmm. Because I can sit here and, like, right now with the players we have, if I had someone show up and be nice and kind and friendly, you guys would instantly assume that he was a bad guy. Some of them would, yeah. N- not not everyone, but enough people would go, mm, no, I don't like this and guy. And everyone would probably entertain the possibility at the very least. It, right. Yeah. Whereas if I had some, if you guys approach some guy, and he's gruff and mean and maybe a little abusive and insulting. It Are is, you going to suspect that he's a bad guy? It is feudal Japan, after all. Sure. Uh, uh, great. It's, everybody's a... <laughs> oh! So the, the hey. way our game group is right at this moment, and it's, this is where the Schrodinger part comes in, I would say if I wanted to bring introduce a bad guy and have the bad guy not be suspected, I would have him act like a dick. 
and and you guys would not suspect that he's you know a Mahosukai or you know whatever the big bad evil master mastermind or whatever it is. However, now that I've just said that, right, <laughs> that would okay. no longer work. So I have to have yet another thing that's going to deceive you, you beyond that. Plots within plots, exactly. Within circles within wheels. A um, couple of things. One, um, I, I kind of take the view: deceive the characters, not the players. Which is a, a fine dis- fine point of distinction. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm going to tell the players, hey, this is the bad guy, but your characters don't know that. Um, but my deception is going to focus on the characters, not on the, on the players. And so I'm going to try to do things with the character to make him valuable to them. To make him um, useful to them. And if I'm going to put them in the same room, I'm going to do so in a, in a place where it's really not a good idea for them to resort to violence. So you don't you don't try to see for me the fun of it would be to get the players to think that this guy is not a not a bad guy. A yes. <laughs> they don't have to metagame. Right. No, and, I'm I'm not disagreeing and with you. B I'm, they get the whole, oh my god, I can't believe it was this guy. Thing. Right, right. right. I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm saying is that I'm going to focus my efforts in character. Right. Rather than um, try to affect the players particularly. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do things with the character in character to make him not look like a bad guy. Now see, I have... I've watched too many movies... So my bad guys telegraph everything. They're always, you know, whispering to somebody behind a closed door. And they're always having secret meetings. They're always looking askance at someone. And that telegraphs all the stuff to the players. I can't not play my villains with something going on. And that's, I think, that's the problem. You, that's because you, 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 you have melodrama in your <laughs> <laughs> I've just watched movies. It's like the villain has to be like, you know... Sitting on the throne yeah. of, of swords and then be whispering to somebody else off to the side. Oh, good, I'm glad. And that person d- disappears down an alley. Uh, everybody now has to pay attention. You know what the solution to that is, don't you, Stork? No, what's that? Y- you you have the good guys do the same shit. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh. <laughs> have your allies act just as suspicious somehow. Give Word. them something that makes people wonder. I mean, one of the things... I talked about years and years ago when we were talking about bad guys and bad guys having plans and plots is one of the things that when you when you come up with your bad guy you really need to figure out <clears throat> what sort of resources he or she has in order to do the stuff they're going to do and one of the things that they might have is a network of spies and they he, the big bad guy might insert himself right into the party so to speak mm-hmm. and 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 be right there with you but he's himself is not going to like saunter over and listen to your private conversations about whether or not you trust him one of the, he's got other people to do that so one, you don't suspect him. one of the very best and I'm not going to say villain because it was a player character mm-hmm. but it was <laughs> a thoroughgoing evil person the character was an evil, uh, a, a witch who served an evil goddess who demanded human sacrifice every new moon. 
Okay, hold that's, on. That's tough. Yeah, and but <coughs> if you asked the the player who what their character was, she would say uh, she's a seamstress. Sure. And right. she made clothes, and she sold clothes in every town that they went to, and she fought for the party, and she bled for the party. And she healed the party. And they couldn't figure out what she was. Some of them thought she was a magic user. Some of them thought she was a cleric. They, she, they could never figure out what she was. And as they went along, what the players, other player characters didn't know about was the string of dead bodies in every town they had been in. Of people she had sacrificed. As, as part of her, you know, just... And when the authorities went, wait a minute. This town, and that town, and that town, and, and this group of people was in every one of those places when somebody died. And they went, huh. And the, the authorities showed up, and they said, you, you're an evil person. It was the paladin in the party who jumped to her defense. <laughs> now, this was an NPC, or is this no, a No, it was a player, player character. character. What a great backstory. And Basically she had, a serial killer. She was basically a serial killer. Had them totally snowed the whole time. Now, now contextually, though, part of the you know part of part of the complication of using that to exemplify the situation is just that that's a PC. So the other players naturally tend to dismiss them as a villain, which is a mistake. Yeah, it can be because you know we we've all heard and used the the. Yeah, ubiquitous story of oh, you look like a trustworthy fellow, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, but somebody who somebody can play a character like that and pull that off. Um, but as the GM, there was a chance that she was going to get caught every time, and there was a chance that they were going to find out about it every time. And if they had, things would have turned very ugly in a big hurry, and the player knew that. But she pulled it off, and it worked. The, you can use that same sort of thing with an NPC. Yeah, his point is still valid. I know what you're saying, and that's absolutely right. But there's still a, an implicit distrust between when, it, when a, a NPC and a PC. When, it, when the NPC so, shows up, you immediately go, hmm, so, what plot hook is coming my so way now? don't always make the NPCs either good guys or bad guys, and don't always make them one thing or the other. Sympathetic villains are often the best anyway. Villains that PCs can connect to or relate to in some way. I find that in a good long-term campaign, uh, I tend to focus on trying to have one villain who is really, really, really a rat bastard everybody hates, and one major villain who is somebody they really don't like the fact that they have to hate. That's Back in the day, I would have used like comic books as sort of an example of Doctor Doom and stuff. But you can look at Game of Thrones, where people do terrible <laughs> things to each other, and sometimes they're good people up until a point, or maybe they're bad people up until a point. It, I mean, it's it is a really great example on how to turn PCs or NPCs on their ear, literally at the at the, at the drop of a dime, because it's something they needed to do at that point. Um, I mean, Littlefinger is a great example. He was he was doing stuff for his own good. He was doing stuff for political reasons, social reasons, or whatever. And then maybe he isn't anymore. I'm I'm just gonna <laughs> reiterate a comment I've made in the past, which is evil people don't think they're evil. Yeah, I think Charles Manson thought he was evil. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm 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 very serious. 
even someone like that, or even someone like Adolf Hitler, did no, not Hitler get up and get... with his, and over his breakfast orange juice go. I'm going to be evil today. I think there's people like he Jack. Believed he believed so. They believe so completely in something, I, and they think it's right. I think there's people like Jack the Ripper that just were so caught up in being evil and the taboo and the blood and everything. They like, know it's wrong. They know it's evil, but they get off on it. Well, there's psychopaths. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's okay. A psychopath doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> there's that. They, okay. There's no moral compass there. But there's still villains. But they sure. don't realize it. In their head, in their head well, space, they might, they're not. I disagree. They might very well realize it, but not give a fuck. They're just going to... They're, they're going to they're they're say, oh, I'm going to do this because I feel like doing it. I don't or really I care about the repercussions. Up. That's evil! Does he realize that's evil? Eh, he might not. He might not care. If, even if you sit down and say, hey, look, here's all of the stuff you did equals evil. He's going to go, eh, whatever. It's what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Because I don't care. I was just following orders. It's <laughs> evil It's evil to you. Well, yeah. okay, we can get into that, but I mean... But what 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 I'm what I'm what I'm saying is, I think there there are people who are doing, there are villains who are doing evil things and feel justified, and eh, maybe even the player characters come come along and they and find out this is why this person's doing this thing. It's like oh, that makes it far more complicated to rush in and be the hero and smite them. Right, the then accidental villain, my children being held hostage, or I turn into right. a werewolf and I can't help myself. Whatever, you're right. And then there's a like just like a like a psychopath, and it's like he doesn't care if well, he's he doesn't he doesn't think he's justified in what he's doing. He just doesn't I, I care. Guess the the, for, the formula is still kind of the same as far as it, the the sense of being in a, a you know player characters versus non-player character villains. If villainy is subjective, <laughs> you know, right? You're still you're still there there the other the other side of the equation, so you can still kind of approach the same issue. How do you make them sympathetic, or how do you create a relationship between them and the party? Mm-hmm. How do you? How do you? What was the, the the initial topic? Was how do you kind of handle deceiving your players so that they don't recognize what's going on? Now, now, one of the things that he asks about in the in his email is specifically things that he can do to drop hints that this is the bad guy that mm-hmm. aren't too obvious. Anyone have any suggestions for that? I I think it's a bad idea. I don't think you should drop hints at all. Um, I would actually go the opposite direction and try to drop hints towards someone else. Be melodramatic. Because I can't help but drop hints, so I need to like make sure that all the NPCs are implicated, because otherwise they're going to zero in on the one that I... They're not going to know he's evil until he's tied the woman to the, r- the railroad. Funny, That's thing right. about, funny thing about pl- about players. You could hit them in the face with a clue by four, and they won't notice. Or you could drop a pin in Albuquerque and they go, Clue! Yep. <laughs> and, and they spend the entire game hunting a bear. It's and been known to happen. No. You and never you know what the reaction's going to be. There's no way to predict that. I've, I have never found a way to predict that. Um, Obviously, I think the, the easiest suggestions are things like making sure that they are occasionally seen in potentially complicated circumstances that they might have to explain away. Yeah, you know, you, you don't want to create too maybe too too uh, dramatic a pattern of that, but as long right. as you can create doubt. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think that you want to set the image of the NPC in the the player characters' minds as being a good guy. So he's 
a, a, a fine, upstanding, moral, good person who, who you know, you know, gives to orphanages and, and does okay. And then you, you know, there are little little suspicions here, and if that happens, the player's Im- initial response having been favorable to this guy when a little thing comes up that goes hey there's a little shadow they're more likely to go well that doesn't seem right i I agree with you jib if you if you have your villain walk in with skulls and wearing black and you know with a dragging the head (laughs) you look like a trustworthy virgin it's i'm being overly dramatic but yeah that's the point i mean literally if darth vader walks into the room you pretty much go well he's a baddie isn't he he's got you know he's no he's your father you know what that guy was pretty dangerous for someone with a neck tattoo right (laughs) (laughs) so you got to keep those outward clues down but i think you know the odd meeting or uh seeing him talking to some stranger in an alley and then he comes in and Seems or or is late to an appointment, looking you know nervously over his shoulder. Whatever those little things, just little things. Also, mix the messages up. Yes, absolutely. Don't always send the same thing. So, you know, sometimes he seems to be doing a good thing, and sometimes he doesn't. And, and I think it's also important for you, the GM, to know what this villain is up to. Don't just make up little things like right. he seems to come in from the alley and is looking nervous you need to have a reason why he was looking nervous why was he was he talking to an informant did he just dispatch an assassin or is the assassin waiting upstairs in the room and he's nervous that he got seen or caught but you as a GM need to come up with an overall plot that motivates him because if you're just sort of making shit up I think they're going to pick up on that pretty quick I, I wonder I'll oh, go ahead no, I was just going to, and about the best way to do that, I think, in my experience, is to make sure you have a pretty good idea in your head what the villain is trying to accomplish the whole time that he is yeah. deceiving the party. You yeah. know, so that yeah. you so so you don't Definitely. have to come up with explanations or weird events. It's stuff that would would normally make sense in that situation. Yeah, when when you're dealing with a with any NPC, but with a villain in particular, knowing why they're doing what they're doing and what it is exactly that they're doing. Is a critic is the critical element. It's singularly the most important thing to know about the, about the NPC. And th- go ahead. I think that if I was, if this is a long campaign he's running, and you want to drop clues that this might be the bad guy, I would, if you're playing the long game, work on that NPC. Get to the point where the party likes this NPC and trusts this NPC. And then when you start presenting information that this guy may not be a nice guy and might be a bad guy, do that when you believe that the party doesn't want to believe that. D- develop the character to the point and the relationship with the party to the point where they're going to be reluctant to believe it. Right. I think that's probably the safest time to start dropping clues like that because then the because then, then the player characters, if they're very, very immersed and and very into their characters, will engage in some self deception and help that's, and rationalization. Most fun, yeah. I think yeah. that's really when it really gets entertaining for the players too, because that that uh, kind of level of internal struggle makes it engaging for them and it keeps them thinking about it. I was also going to say that be careful pulling out your big bad guy. Right at the very beginning, because ultimately he's going to outlevel you, and it's something they need to strive towards. I mean, um, th- let's take Star Wars for better or worse. Well, they're playing GURPS. I get it, 
So you can, you can still take him out with a sniper rifle. You, but yes, but like, let's take Star Wars. It, does, it still doesn't negate my argument. It does. It, let's take Star Wars for example. You think Darth Vader is the 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 villain, right? And he is up to a point, and then you realize that Darth Vader actually has another master that's that's telling him what to do. So there can be layers and levels of villainy. In fact, many of the reasons of the motivation for your villain might be that there's someone else telling him what to do. The reason he's late to meetings, the, the messages he's sending off are going to someone else that he's reporting to. So that also gives the, the characters something to strive for. They've killed off the henchmen. They've discovered the plot is much bigger and much more intricate than they've now thought. There's more to do. Yeah. I mean, all great fantasy novels have... You have your Saruman, layers, and then you have Sauron on top layers, of that. You know, yeah. There's layers. at least two. There's at least, you know, you get Wormtongue, and then Sauron, and then Saruman. Wait, I'm going to mixed up. Yeah. Yeah, you're Worm right. Tongue, my Saruman and my Saurons mixed up. Sauron. Yeah. So. Yes, guys. Yeah. There I, you go. Uh, yeah. Email from Ron. And this email kind of answers itself, I realized, when I was reading this. <laughs> All right. Magic, for me, has always been problematical. That sounds like the sort of word you would find in a Gilbert and Sullivan song. I am the very model of a problematical magical, yeah. How do you (laughs) use magic in a role-playing game to its best effect? What is its source? It's not really, this is not really a question, it's a list. How How does it manifest in the, quote, real world, end quote? Who can use it? What does it cost the user? Is it commonplace? How how do common people view it? How powerful can users become? How can a GM stifle power creep? What systems handle magic the best? What advice do you have for me to overcome my reticence about using magic in one of my games? Go, Jim! <laughs> Yo. Okay, first thing, the first thing I would recommend is use Hero System. <laughs> um, because, for a couple of reasons. One is because in Hero you can make anything. And two, because Hero has this handy-dandy little form that has actually every one of these fields on it. Right, when you're setting up And you up just a, go a through and you, and you fill them out with whatever information makes sense for your world and your, your magic system, and there you go. You have the, all of the pertinent information about your magic system. And GURPS has the same thing. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Was that, first of all, there's some choices you need to make. If your your magic comes from a personal wellspring of power points and power pool, then that's where your magic comes from. If it comes from ley lines that they tap into, then that's your magic system. Right. If it comes from summoning elementals and binding them into items, then that's your magic system. GURPS has all of that stuff available that you can do, but you need to make the decision that that's where magic is. Or maybe it's all of them. Maybe there's forms of magic that come from a personal well power. Maybe there's some that tap into elementals. Maybe. But you as a GM need to decide those things. But I know that there's systems out there that handle it. Now, D&D basically kind of has this amalgamous it's magic, so fuck you. We all have magic. We're just magical. We do magic stuff. Move on. Deal with it. And that's well, not really a great system, but there's other systems out there that are better well, addressed. It, there are a lot of these questions that should still be answered even in a D&D game. They should. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, how are common people going to react to magic? I mean, you could ha- totally have a D&D game where people fucking hate mages. Oh, fuck. Let's burn them at the stake. Right. I oh, mean, yeah. Like Harry Potter kind of thing. Yeah. Which is going to last right up until the army of mages from the next kingdom wanders over and squishes <laughs> well, them. Unless they're rare. Unless there's not that man- not very many of them. Right. And you see a lot of fiction like that. Huh? I was going to say, and you see a lot of fiction like that. You know, worlds where 
it, and I've, I've tried that in games. It can be challenging sometimes because then you you have to be willing to go ahead and make the player characters that do choose to go that route be that special and unusual in the world. But there's nothing right. wrong with that. In most in, of these questions are very oriented on. I mean, I mean, I mean, system seems like the quick and easy answer, but a lot of these questions are very oriented on uh, setting and you know design elements. Not really so much to do with the system. You can. Right. Pick any system and figure out whether or not it balances its magic well, but you have to make these decisions for how it works well, inside the game world. Right. I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you, Eric. One caveat I would, well, one comment I would make is in a um, in any D20 system in particular, but any basically fancy and magic system, the problem you're going to run into is that the game assumes that characters acquire certain amounts of magic goodies along the yeah. way. Yeah, and if they true. don't, because you've made magic rare in your world... You have to adjust for it everywhere else. You have yeah. to adjust for it everywhere else. And that means you have to limit do. magic users and you have to limit clerics because when they're at, you know, first through fifth level, the the fighters are going to outnumber them and outgun them. But when you get to, like, tenth level and beyond... One magic user can squish a group of right. fighters just in in nothing flat, and if they if the fighters don't have those magic goodies because magic is rare, then that throws off the balance. the balance of the game. So you then have to adjust that. You know, if they had just marched into Voldemort's thing with machine guns, it would have been over fast. <laughs> So technology Sniper, can actually rifle for and I'm saying the technology can actually uh, compensate oh. for this whole magic thing. You know, when the magic system is sitting there muttering, you know, the catapult could launch <laughs> fireballs into the castle, and, and there's and nothing course, they can do about it. I mean, we, you, I, I think you kind of have to generally assume that he's probably not talking about a D and D game. If you're playing D and D, usually you're already pretty much accepting the magic system as it stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, I, I think that probably what we're talking about is someone who's trying to figure out how to get over being concerned about putting it in the hands of players who are going to take advantage. They're having trouble figuring out how to adjudicate, adjudicate it. Some asshole recently introduced me to fate. And, uh, <laughs> you sure God, it was only what one? asshole would do a thing like that? Jip. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when I... Uh, no, no, but but I, that's a really strong example. For example, you go you go that far, and so much of the uh, the fluff, so much of the descriptive stuff only matters in as much as it affects how you play the game while the rules kind of bind it together in the same way no matter what you do. And a lot of those systems fall somewhere on that spectrum anyway. I mean, the reason that I'd, I'd, I'd agree with the idea of going straight to Hero, for example, is the fact that everything works by kind of the same rules. So, right, you know, uh, you, you have an attack, no matter what it, what it looks like, you have an attack that does this much for this many points. Right. You know, it all works kind of the same. The, the same is also true of Savage Worlds. Obviously, yeah. Um, you can, and easier to calculate. It is, in fact. <laughs> I actually designed a 4E game where magic was special. and Because in 4E, there's martial characters, and then there's magical-based characters, and I was going to have the two sort of separate worlds. And, um, you know, martial abilities act like magic anyway. Right, yeah, that's right. the problem. But they're that's not technically magic. They're, they're right. considered a martial skill, like, uh, for whatever reason. So I was going to try to subjugate the two and make it make a, a, a play off the two. So I, you can 
you can do that again. It's kind of system based. You can do it in your engagement systems. You can pull that off in four E. You do have to make decisions, though. You have to figure out where magic comes from, what's magic, what isn't, and you know what's what does it cost? I mean, how does a martial character? What's different from his magic use than the other magic users use, or the actual magic use? So uh, these are decisions as a GM you have to make, and I think. You can do it in any system you want, but sometimes you may have to really bend the rules and tweak the system or at least make some concrete decisions about what's acceptable and what isn't and what you can do. And it might skew things in a way that you didn't expect, you know? It might make magic users less powerful sure. or it might make them overpowered. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that's the that, that's why we're, I think GURPS and Hero and Savage Worlds are great because it's balanced how, right out the gate. And you can do whatever you need right. without it worrying and about breaking it. If you take GURPS and Hero and Fate and Savage Worlds and Fate, and you just forget about the semantics of the thing you're doing, it has an impact on the game. It has a, a mechanical impact right. on the game. And if you strip away all of the description and the 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 trappings, to use the, mm-hmm. the Savage Worlds term, for it, they all have the same impact on the game. As long as you do that... And that GURPS magic. There is GURPS <laughs> magic spells, quite a few, that have story effect. That are either going to... God, I'm trying to... I'm, trying, I'm grasping trying to think of something something concrete right away. But there's all... There, there are many spells that don't have... A dice mechanic effect on something. They have an uh-huh. effect in it that, that is more in the narrative realm. Like a charm? No, no. no, I, no. I see where you're going. You know, you know, you know what I mean? I, okay. I'm, I'm having a hard time think coming up with an example. Moog, help me here. Right. But, I mean, <laughs> um, players who are playing mages in GURPS always come up with these things. It's like, oh, shit, you just completely circumvented my story with a spell. And, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. You, that, you raise an absolutely valid point. Um, that, that 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 I think is one of the when that I kind of wince when people say that the, the GURPS magic system is balanced. It's not, and I and I'm fine with it not being balanced. Oh, that's I'm also fine with the you know the rule zero in GURPS, which is pick and choose what you want to use. Right, and what sure. You accept. Well, GURPS going say, using the same four systems as an example, all four of them do the same thing, and they mm-hmm. put the onus of maintaining. Sanity on the people who are playing the game. Right. On the GM and the players. All of them do that. It does preclude, the, or it does assume the fact that you understand GURPS intimately enough to know which spells are overpowered and which ones aren't. I mean, it still has a famous story, and they've cut it out of GURPS now, but where you could well, levitate if, if, a person and then they would f- take falling damage. And you yeah. could do that repeatedly until they could died. Do that. You could do that in anything. It was apportation. That was the it. spell. And specifically, yeah. you cast the spell, you spend the the um, endurance at the time, or mana now, and uh, it was like two or three points. And you could put something basically on a vector. It's going to move in a direction that you choose <laughs> at one meter per second for a minute. Okay. So you sixty meters away, point at someone and say "up." Yeah, and when the spell runs out, uh, they are no longer uh, magically Up. bound to this vector, and whatever <laughs> natural, natural occurrences may exert. <laughs> you themselves could totally do the person. same thing in 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 hero 
or Savage Worlds right. or the you, thing that you'd be less able to do that in Fate. Interestingly enough, um, you could do that in Pathfinder or it was uh, yeah, earlier sure. versions of D and D easily, especially games that have magic systems that are almost like recipe books. Where right. it's like, here is an enormously long, exhaustive list of spells. You hear all... I, I sat around a table two cons ago and listened to these guys trade stories. One was a Pathfinder guy and the other one was a 3-5 um, a guy. And they're, it, that's like speaking like... Klingon. No, you know. no, no. But I mean, it's like it's like someone speaking like Spanish, Spanish, and some the other guy speaking Mexican Spanish. They're very, very, very similar, and right. they can they understand each other more often than they don't. Right. And they're talking about, in almost every situation, they were talking about how someone used some spell in a really creative way that totally turned the situation on its head. Sure. And they're, I mean, and that's one of the things I really kind of like about about some magic systems that have that that sort of broad sense of here's. There's here, here's an enormous list of spells. We haven't thought of what everything is going to be. We don't know what's balanced and what's not. We think we've come up with costs that kind of help make it balanced, right. but who knows? Well, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of that the, later editions, <laughs> right? Well, that and that and and sometimes they do. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, especially the instant kill spell, which is what apportation ended up becoming. Um, but I think. I like the, that kind of magic system because then you get all of those bizarre things. You talk about the combination of the the guy the the guy who casts the uh, stone to mud and then mud to stone, right. and I mean, there when you have this huge list of spells, there are so many combinations of things you can do. Not just a weird application of a single spell, but suddenly combinations of spells that can do all kinds of crazy shit. And that's cool, and that's what magic should do, in my opinion. That's I agree. why I like systems that do stuff like that. So, you're not going to stop your magic user from kicking ass if he happens to be a creative person. No. I mean, he's going to look for ways to use spells in ways that you hadn't thought of, or even the game designers may not have thought of. Not that they're going to f- exploit them, but like Jib's story about the... Stone right. to mud, mud to stone is absolutely within complete bounds of the book, and uh, and it was brilliant. It was exactly, and a lot of people that play magic users look for those moments. Sure, um, this is the kind of shit that could be sharing, scaring the hell out of out of Ron, though. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> let's, yeah. let's let's do what we can to make it worse. Yeah. Right? Well. <laughs> But I mean, the most it important is, advice is probably not be afraid of it. You know, let it let yeah. it happen. Uh, right. Just okay to to give Ron some advice. Thank you for drawing us back to topic, Eric. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to. Oh, no, 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 no. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, really, the the best advice I can give is use your own questions to decide what you want magic to be in your game. And once you've decided that, then. As the GM, the onus is on you to figure out how that fits in with the rules of the system that you're using, and then you got to decide: I'm gonna use, I'm gonna allow this, I'm not gonna allow that. Um, you know, as an example, one of the things that I maintained playing D and D for years and years was any weapon or armor or anything like that that all it has is a plus bonus to something like a plus three sword. It's not magical. 
It's just better. Mm-hmm. It's a well-made Damascus sword that's well-balanced. It's just a really well-balanced. freaking well-made sword. Yeah. Right. Okay. Unless it has a power, it does fire or ice or, you know, sure. whatever. Unless it does something like that, it's not actually magical. And then... Um, it sings. If it has a power like that and it actually is magical, guess what? It also has a name and it has a history. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You couldn't do that with 4E, unfortunately. I tried. I tried making magical items special, and but unfortunately, people are taking them and disposing of them so quickly, and they needed them for leveling up. It just really became not interesting anymore. Magic became <laughs> I, like part of their traveling gear, like a flashlight. Oh, yeah. I, I played right. in a Pathfinder game where, at the time, we were like 16th, 18th level. And we were... I would start with a blank page at the st- beginning of the night, and by the end of the night, I would have three pages, double column, of nothing but magic items that we had found Holy in the course shit. of the game. Whoa. <laughs> and it got to the point where it was like, oh, I have no use for that. Stick it in a bag, we'll sell it. <laughs> and then there's games like uh, Numenera that the rely also rely on your magic items, and some of them are just one-offs. It's like you you point the right. little thing and it does something, and then you, it's dead and you throw it away. It That's but, part of the game. They actually... They actually want you to discover these things and use them and, and then go and dispose right. them and get more. That, that's actually one of the great things about Fate. Equipment really doesn't matter in Fate, but you can often tie a stunt to equipment. So, like, you might have a character who has, I'm just using an example that popped into my head, a sword cane. And that they have a stunt that they do with that sword cane. Um, and that's... So, but equipment really is irrelevant. You know what? Then in a game like Fate, I, I think because of the way you started this out as well, I think the answer to his question is he needs to run games in Fate because, as you said, magic isn't nearly as game changing in Fate as it is in some of the other games. Sure, I don't know. But that I think I'll that will make it actually. Scary. I don't think I'll ever actually advise that as just a general rule. You should just run your games in Fate. <laughs> Especially if you've ever played anything else, you definitely have to have some context. It's I, true. I'm, I'm sure that Mike Olson is cheering right now, even yeah. though he doesn't know why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 move on to the next uh, email. It's from Jason. Who would like to read Jason? Jason, email? do you want to read Jason? I'll read Jason. Read Jason. Hey, I think a complication in the understanding of the game mechanics issue, variation in functionality between social and combat resolution. Oh, that topic again. (laughs) Is the fact that the role-playing game itself is a social activity. I believe this increases the tolerance for gaminess in combat or physical non-role-played interactions only. It may cause a distortion in the perception of the degree of control lost by the player. My character wouldn't get stabbed. Okay. (laughs) Since the actual activity of play, our interface with most aspects of the game, is social in nature, uh, more than it is physical, arguably, that is, that is, there could be a direct impact on what you now have to say in character and in person, rather than being told your character suffers damage and knowing he or she is likelier to die. Is there actually any other difference between the two? I'm not certain. In a board game, I think this would go unnoticed. So I think it may be the cause of some misunderstanding. I hope I'm being clear. P.S. 
I actually prefer to treat the two differently and am merely musing upon this long, annoying discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Thank you so much. I have long wondered if role-playing games even need or benefit from social stats. I guess probably one or the other. Anyway, I'm pretty sure the person who wrote in described a system identical to the general concepts Stu and Tappy say they use in their own ways. PPS. And if you want intrigue, just lift ideas from paranoia and pull it way back. Shit, Nero. A Highlander game would be awesome with flashbacks and everything. I'm rewatching the TV series right now, along with Time Tracks and Highlander 2. Oh, ti- along with Time Tracks. Period. And Highlander 2 was awesome. <laughs> it's a common misconception that it was a nonsensical sequel to Highlander. In reality, the name of the main character is Highlander 2. <laughs> Everything else is a typo except a shield over the cyberpunk Earth with bladed hover pads from the planet Zeist. <laughs> oh my god, it's the that worst probably film does ever. Make it a much better uh, <laughs> post, post, post script. What is this insane bullshit about GM winning? Let us first establish that a GM can kill any character at any time, literally. What is the satisfaction there for? Exactly. Right. Well, philosophically, I totally agree, but I can explain why some people feel that way. Because they think they they gain something by outsmarting the players. Or some GMs think they're the dealer, like the house rules. House always wins. You have to make sure that you, at the end of the night, you know, okay. have dealt out the right cards. <clears throat> Someone ought to come up with, with uh, uh, Savage Worlds mechanics that employs a rake. You know what a rake is? Yeah, so, like, it's, it's the, usually a roguish person who's no, kind of no, a, no, a, no, a, a rake in A rake in a casino is yeah. like when there's a pot, a few oh. of the chips go to the house every pot. So it's like, oh, you want to spend betting? Okay, I'll take that one. Yeah. Deadlands. <laughs> oh, do they do that in, in Deadlands? Land? There are three <laughs> kinds of bennies. There mm-hmm. are white ones, red ones, and blue ones. Uh-huh. A white one's normal benny. Use it to re-roll or anything like that. A red one lets you add a d6 mm-hmm. <coughs> onto your roll. Okay. However, GM gets to draw a benny from the pool. From oh, the okay. Pot. A blue one, you get to add a d6 to the roll, but you don't. the GM doesn't get to. Okay. The blue, and there are specific numbers of them you're supposed to have in the in the pot. That's really. And cool. then the GM randomly picks one. Right, but the GM can only get white ones. Oh, okay. All right, that's really cool. It's like gambling. Oh. Uh, well, a lot of Deadlands comes from the idea that it was based around the concept of the the Wild West poker game. Right. Oh, so he was just musing. He doesn't really yeah. have a question. Yeah, and, yeah, and at some point, I'm gonna bring Patrick in because he wants to have a conversation because he's one of the people that disagrees with me about social game mechanics and combat game mechanics and believes that there should be that he he more believes in the oh utility of a game mechanic for social stuff than I do so and and he's pretty vocal about it so bringing him in because when when we originally had that conversation we were all pretty much in agreement and there are a lot of people out there that disagree with me they're all wrong but they (laughs) they're there (laughs) with our traveler game and 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 Dave's character is like you know second only to the Duke it would have been nice to maybe have some social mechanics to actually challenge him because it really wasn't anything it was just a deus machina machina for him no no but he he, I mean uh, the first thing I did is I but we had everyone roll a whatever they're called, a mishap or whatever, 
at the end of it. And his was, there's someone hunting him. Well, who's going to be hunting? An, he was like an archduke. Who's going to be hunting an archduke? Well, another yeah, archduke. Sure. So who's the, more powerful? The so enemy is the enemies of the archduke. Right, but um, they who would see him out I, of power. Where, where, where do you stand, Eric? On the on the are, are you familiar with that? The argument. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and and to be fair, um, a lot of the stuff you said during the arguments before, I would say that as I recall, it started with. How do we handle social mechanics? And um, well, actually, I think it started with players affecting other players, uh, PCs affecting other PCs, yeah. and that stuff. But which obviously, there's you know, you you have to draw the line. But it, it, there was a the question of start starting with how do you apply social mechanics, and then you kind of talked yourself to the point of I hate them, I hate them, gets rid of them, don't <laughs> want them. You know, I, for the most part, yeah, that's, that's it's really it's, it's, it's quite accurate. You know, I, I, I strongly feel that they have a place, but I I honestly kind of wish sometimes that I could take a system and just base it on the group I've got at my table, whether mm-hmm. or not that's even there. Well, you, know, you have an some, exceptional some group of handled. players at your table. There, I am right? lucky. I am luckier than most, and that's why we do, we have the kind of show we do where we talk immersion, right? But. Uh, the and with the right kind of players, those those kinds of mechanics just enhance the game. But you still have to figure out how to use them right to enhance it, because you can't make them an all or nothing mechanic. You have to you have to treat social stuff differently than you do every other type of rule in the game. I definitely right. agree with that. Like you, I am spoiled with the players that I have, and I can say can use a social mechanic and say. Um, this is how you feel about this right. thing now. You decide what you're going to do about that. And they will. Well, I, mm-hmm. With good players, you can even say things like, oh, he's very compelling. And right, go, exactly. Oh, okay. Just, yeah, that seems like, yeah. Oddly, that suddenly sounds like an extreme, like a good idea to you. What are you going to do about that? Right. And they will. But with, you know, you're going to have those players who are reluctant, who are like, you know, right. my player... My character would never do that because they don't want to. And it might very well be something that would be a hard line for sure. for the character. And there are things that are hard lines for characters. Absolutely. And I don't care how persuasive you are. There are things in life, and one of them came up for me tonight, um, that I don't care how persuasive you are. You will never sway me off, the, off my position on this. Well, will course. not happen. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of all the things that Stu hasn't swayed on over the years. <laughs> right? I'm. 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 Stu doesn't sway. Stu wiggles. <laughs> Forty-eight years. No one's rolled a, a crit social roll against me. Not <laughs> once. <laughs> it's all right. Well, we don't even need to discuss yeah, this. We're, we're not going to do that one again. Yeah. We'll do a whole episode. Thank you. I'll thank read, you for the. I'll read the email address to me. Stork. <laughs> Stork. I have a suggestion for you. Play more gumshoe games. I'm going to take a moment here to actually say I've, in fairness, you know, <clears throat> transparency, I've never played any gumshoe games. So that might actually you be should. a good place to start. So you should. Play, I think I'm going to rewrite this, play a gumshoe game. Seriously. The resolution mechanic is designed to prevent you from, and he says stroking it, and I like that, but I think he meant storking it. <laughs> As a player so. in a gumshoe uh, game, I hope so. you, decide how, <laughs> you decide how good you are at any given role. 
Need to catch an arrow to save the party member? You spend four points from the athletics pool. Roll a d6 and add the number of points you spend to the roll. Even if you roll a one, you still have a five and will succeed. The gumshoe game Knights Black Agents, in which you play born-level super spies fighting a vampire conspiracy, you have one general skill that once per session you can say succeeded no matter what. No storking it allowed unless you feel like it would be narratively better to fail. Seriously. Try it at a con, or if you're ever up in Portland, I will run a game for you. Uh, well, having we grown up in Portland, I I would I'll take I'll take you up on that. We need Gina here because Gina has played Knights Black Agents. It sounds awesome. I have not. I know Eric, I've, you have played Gumshoe. I have. I, I ran uh, Fear Fear itself a little bit, which was my first exposure to Gumshoe, and I've only, I've only done the one the one experiment with it. But I, I really loved the economy of the game. The, the the cool thing about that is that as you spin points to make rolls, you kind of run out of points over the course of a session. So you get more and more desperate as the session goes on, it's, and that adds a level of. We talked about this last episode, actually. It was yeah, it, I, it, I think you did. I, I was I was remembering that. that. That's what Jeb was talking about, and I was sitting here nodding my head. It, it's it was it was my favorite thing about the uh, the mechanic. Other than that, the <laughs> the system was extremely simple. Well, you right. know what what's, what. <laughs> I've got what occurred to me while I was reading this is that you could use Gumshoe for social interactions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could. You know, you could. I mean, it. it I've got what is it? Trail of Cthulhu. Uh huh. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't yeah. mind running that just to try it out. If you want to do that, looks really cool. It seems like it seems like, from what I recall reading about about adventure design yeah. is. You really have to kind of build the adventure design up once you have the characters, because because the, the economy of those of all those skill points is something you really have to keep in yes. mind. That I would agree with. My experience was it, you kind of have to. It was easier, obviously, when making a con game because I was pre-generating the characters. But we, the the entire kind of experience of putting a game together without having any clue what the actual skill assortment of the party is for a gumshoe game is a waste of time. I would imagine you have yeah. to know. You have to know what they've got that you can that you can build off of, um, and because but, you're, but it, because again, your stats really dwindle as you use them, I think if you don't know what it is, maybe you're saying the same thing. If you don't know what it is you need to do and what stats are going to be affected, maybe you're building an ineffectual character or well, that, one that doesn't and make any sense. Just, and there's just enough skill po- skills to go around that you have to have to divide the points between. That there's a good there's always a good chance, especially in a smaller group, that there's some skills that just won't be represented in that group. Right. So if you're relying on them too heavily for the for the, you know they just can't fucking do it. Right. <laughs> they got nothing. All right. And Velma always loses her glasses. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Ed from Minnesota. I think it's back to uh, Eric. It's Eric. Back to Eric. Would you like to read? Oh, that's Ed? not too long. Oh no, yeah, it's a long one. You got a long one. It's okay. He had to read one from me a couple of weeks ago. So. <laughs> My show. I, 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 the first letter I got in the mail after what after Jim's last letter to my show was, you could have broken that up and had two or three people read that damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> they know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah. Are you back to writing letters, Jim? You're on like two podcasts and stuff. I know. It's, it's, it's still written. <laughs> the thing is, I listen to podcasts and people say things and I want to comment uh-huh. on them. <laughs> and he can't keep his comments too. And you know, I can't shut up. It's just, you know. Hello, douchebag and all. Ed here from Minnesota. Uh, big troll on the forum. Your friendly neighborhood forum stalker, uh, whom you call lurker. I'm one of those, so I understand. Perhaps we compromise, and I am your lurking stalker. 
Excellent. Just wanted to drop you a line. Sadly oh written. Sober this time. With a, a gaming experience dealing with a problem player and how the group self-corrected the problem behavior. So not quite a horror story? Well, no, this is good. We've had a lot of people that have written in recently about problem players. I was running Shadowrun uh, I was running a Shadowrun game at my brother's gaming shop once a week and had a fairly popular game that expanded from 5 to 10 players over Eek. a two-year period. That's huge. It's like Stu's uh, 4E game. Mm-hmm. I never run Shadowrun, so I don't know if that would be better or That would be bad. I ran, I ran a GURPS cyberpunk game. After a while, it was like 16... It was like 16 or 18 players. I'm not it was absolutely dog. familiar with Shadowrun, but <laughs> after five, aren't you running out of archetypes? Aren't you then just like basically getting two or three of the same? You're, you're doubling up. Yeah, oh, yeah. at least. You, you, got, you six people are the Decker crew. <laughs> you six people right, are right. <laughs> uh, sorry, anyway. The, I the Decker, one of the, the sub-Decker, the sub-assistant director. <laughs> Decker, you know. I recruited one of the players, you'll remember him from my previous email, the guy with the I'm smarter than you look, to co-GM, and split the group into two Shadowrun teams working the same Seattle streets. Now, the problem came from the fact that one of the players was someone who went out of his way to screw over the party at almost every opportunity. Oh, that guy. His, His character, the face of the group was an older man with only social skills. I think it's easier for a face to screw over a party than anybody else, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His street name was Old Man Zeke, and he was very good at negotiation, social manipulation, etc. All fine and dandy, except that he would use it to a, to maximize his profit at the cost of the party. Hey, after all, if only half the party survives, the profit is split fewer ways, right? <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like something Stu would play. Yeah. Or I Bruce. I see why this was self-correcting, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> so... Over the past two years, what started as a few minor incidents developed into regre- progressively worse ones until the party was fed up with it. When I split the group, <laughs> I moved the problem player into the group made up of mostly newer players, a second chance, if you will. Sounds to me like a good way to torment noobs. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Or chase them away. However, <clears throat> over the gaming session, my co-GM and I would meet briefly to update each other on the progress of the players and events in the world. And it quickly became apparent that old man Zeke was still trying to pull his old tricks on the old party. The party members quickly figured this out and decided to finish things off. With one complication, I would not let the parties go head-to-head. I was sure it would result in a lot of hurt feelings. Pooling together their funds, they put out a contract on the head of old man Zeke. 50,000 yen for his head, to be exact. In our game, this represented the profit from the last three or four runs they had been on, perhaps three months of gaming. I was working towards the uh, end of the campaign, as we are attempting to work towards the end of the letter, <laughs> and grinning evilly internally, had a contract meet them. Oh, a contact meet them and take the contract through their fixer. The game progressed to the following session with a series of betrayals by old friends and enemies, resulting in the deaths of several major contacts. Several of the newer players who didn't know what you had didn't know that you always had to have at least two bolt holes and never revisit a home that's been blown for that BFG you saved up for. And one of the older players, old man Zeke. In my defense, I did have old man Zeke discover that a contract had been taken out on him, and he spent a lot of money, over 100,000 yen, more than all the other players had combined, trying to get out of Seattle before it could be collected. (laughs) However, he relied on a few of his new party members a little too heavily, not realizing they had hated how he was treating them, too, 
and they turned him in for a share of the bounty. Wow! <laughs> sure, we'll help Rock you out. Why don't you just on. get on this get on this cattle car and it's headed your way? No, no, no. Don't, don't worry about it. Just you just get in the back of the van. It'll be fine. Don't worry about the gimp chair. It's all good. <laughs> Did you write a song about this guy, Stu? So, um, I guess the thing I learned is that if you piss off the other players enough, they will just kill the problem player off and keep doing it until he he or she quits or changes. In our case, the player quit playing after another two or three characters. <laughs> two or three characters? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're killing that guy, too. Hi, this is my new character, I guess it, Literally, that's what happened, it sounds like. Hi, this is my new character, Charlie. You are still an ass. <laughs> I was just wondering what you guys thought of this, and if you've had similar experiences. Ed. P.S. Ah, now back to a quick bowl of chili before bed. Mmm, meaty. Is that a euphemism that I'm unaware of? I hope so. Probably. PPS. We had another Shadowrun game where we were able to test the rules on explosives out quite thoroughly. I was a player, and another player, I bet you can guess who, he's been in both of my emails so far, was playing a burned-out mage who had way too much money at character creation. So he bought an armored van, like you do, and loaded it with commercial (laughs) explosives, like you do. do. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like this character. <laughs> made me quite nervous when we were driving around to meets and such. Dear Lord, pass your drive test. Now is not the time for a fender bender. <laughs> However, during one run, we were fighting some sort of spirit that could inhabit corpses, and we're taking quite a beating, and we're getting ready to bolt. One of the party members stayed behind in the van in case we needed it, I guess. Though, since he was a tribal who refused to use anything more than uh, more techy than a tomahawk, I really don't understand what he thought he was going to do and was locked inside with an undead spirit thing bashing on the door trying to get it. Having discovered that the only way to really fight these things was to dismember them, and because we were all badly injured and unlikely to survive a straight-on fight with a thing, our mage decides to fire one of his disposable rockets. He carried a, uh, an LAW into the uh, sewers for the run, and yes, it was not unknown for him to do this at the thing when it turned and began charging us. It had, dear God, this letter keeps going. I know, doesn't it? Look at that. I feel terrible the now. are longer than the God. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Do you want, you're, had, you're almost done. Don't give up now. Do you want to tag team it? No, I'm fine. All right. It, it had completely slipped his mind that the van was behind the zombie in the heat of the moment. <laughs> like, like it does. The one packed full of explosives. Yes, that one. It's with a guy yeah. in it. He rolled the hit. Had a skill of one, so he was able to roll one die on the attack, plus one die from his combat pool. He rolled snake eyes, of course, and the GM ruled he had hit his own van. (laughs) Rolling for effects, the GM determined that the attack penetrated the van, injuring the player inside, but otherwise not completely destroying it. Then the player remembered the explosives in the van. Oh, what a convenient (laughs) time for him to remember that. There was a pause for smokes, drinks, and general chit-chat while the GM calculated out how much explosive there was. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) We found out that we had apparently been inside our own version of a roadblock buster because everything within 150 meters of the van was now gone. Completely (laughs) gone. And the damage to everything beyond that was severe enough that basically we had destroyed around a quarter of a city block. On the plus side... We destroyed the undead spirit thingy. On the downside, every corporation, Lone Star, <laughs> cop, government agency, and curious spirit was now speeding towards our location. Needless to say, things got a lot more interesting after this. Wow. BPPS. 
I actually loved the event so much that it inspired me to make an addition to all my Shadowrun games. I make up a list of random street rumors or events to start off every game with to help give some flavor to the world and possibly drop some gaming hints before we get going. I always introduce a new group to the world history, including the terrorist bombing of Red Moon Barons a few years back, apparently some sort of attack on the Humanist Polo Club that went awry. I then went. Uh, I then start the game by giving every player one or two tidbits to bring into the game. For example, rumors about a major urban brawl player being traded away, a shipment of filter masks that were rejected for being ineffective, being boosted from a loading dock, the Halloweeners showing up with a bunch of new guns, probably yak, a series a series of gunshots in the uh, Puyallup Barrens were investigated. I don't know these words. Mm-hmm. The following morning, resulting in the discovery of over a dozen gangers drained completely of blood, etc. Lots of P's and an S. Drink! (laughs) Just because I'm sober doesn't mean you should be. We're not. Thank God for that. Well done. (laughs) Well done. Trial by fire on that one. Now, what the hell was he talking about? I'm trying to to remember. He was relating uh, uh, a really fun story from Shadowrun. And and the only only uh, player character I've had killed by the rest of the party was a mage who was insane and was par- he had par- he was paranoid he had a delusion about demons <laughs> and, he thought, and he thought that at, at one point he started suspecting that the party was demons and he was a totally munchkined out min maxed character who is very combat effective a very combat effective mage and because this guy could make groups characters and the other guys in the in the game I, I've told the story dozens of times said we we we're, we don't want to be his next victim, so we're going to kill him next session. And they killed him. They killed his character. Like in his sleep or something? Say. No, no, no. They got on either side of him, and they did just finished a fight. He was almost out of mana. His mana stone was almost completely drained, and they and they took him out at that point. Wow. Yeah. I, I once had a party of nine characters that got into an argument, and two rounds of combat later, only three of them were left standing. <laughs> Hmm. I don't know. I always have a tough time with that. You know, especially if it's a long running campaign, people have a long time they've invested, and then right. all of a sudden, they, yeah, you're yeah, all dead because somebody it, is a douchebag. It can create hard feelings, unless, of course, the person who is being a douchebag is ready for that particular consequence. Yeah, you know, if that's what you're there for, what the hell, I guess. But I, I don't. I can't remember the last time I had a party turn on itself like that. So. I'm sure it happens in like vampire games all the time. I'm sure. I would think. Well, yeah, Paranoia some... games. Yeah, Stu loves that, that inner party conflict. <laughs> he, he tends to try to nurture it and stuff. I I, I shy away from it. I just I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a good guy at heart. I just don't like to kill my fellow players. Although I did have a character that was it was a three O. I think it was one of the few times I played three O in college. Might have been two O. Uh, it, it was, was an anti paladin. It was two. You're right. It was two. Uh, and he, I did kill a character in his sleep. He was a paladin. I was not. I was the anti of paladin. So, and took his shit because he had. Yeah. He had cool better shit. shit. He did. He had cool shit. And, that, and it was completely. In and keeping and with that your, is why characters do what and it they was do. Completely in keeping <laughs> with the character. Unfortunately, the guy was a friend, and he was mad. And it really, yeah. Meet interesting one of people. Our, kill them and take their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, one, one of our GMs ran a paranoia game at one of our recent or one of our game day events last year, and uh, as I recall, the entire thing ended when one of the players' fourth or fifth clone nuked the entire party. 
Why? Sweet. That's, that's, paranoia is a game, I guess. Where well, oh, are. I missed the oh, fact that it was paranoia. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's designed for that. Email from Grog. Mark this semi-urgent because I can wait. I can wait or can't wait? I, I can, can wait. wait. I can wait for a response. And, right. All right. I can wait for a response until the beginning of August. We'll get it earlier. But I don't have until Thanksgiving. Thus, semi-urgent. <laughs> I have a question and a gaming success story. The question first. A little background. I was married. Now I'm not. Not terribly complicated. Anyway, <laughs> That's I'm attempting <laughs> to shamelessly pilfer a page from Jib's book and get myself a young, attractive, pro-gaming girlfriend. Now you clap. Now, now, yeah. But I'm no Jib. So the best I've managed so far is to find a girl who is merely gaming curious. Oh! Start. She's done theater, improv, and board gaming, but... I'm pretty sure with only a little effort I could get her warmed up to the whole role-playing thing. And I'm pretty sure she would be great at it. Wink, (laughs) wink. But there's a hitch. One evening, the topic of RPGs came up and she made the following statement. I tried RPGs a couple of times and everything would be going great and we were interacting and building the story and then I would say something and everyone would look at me expectantly and and then I realized they were waiting on me to roll the dice. But I could never figure out when or why that was going to happen. It seemed pretty random to me. Do you really need the dice? What function do they really serve? I know, I know. She sounds like a hippie gamer. And I'm pretty sure she's redeemable. It's also possible she just never had a good, gentle GM to show her the ropes. It's like anal sex. You just. <laughs> I knew you were going to make that connection. I knew you were going there. I, I paused. I was waiting wow. for Stu to fill it in, but he didn't. <laughs> I was waiting until you do it. It's all about anal sex for you, isn't it? <laughs> well, isn't it for everyone? Don't ask me that. You're not arguing. <laughs> just stating. Um, unfortunately, I, I think we agree. <laughs> He's using me to. <laughs> You're agreeing with yourself. With myself. Yeah. Unfortunately, after mumbling through some bullshit, I realized that I don't have an answer to her question. As a, quote, real gamer, I just accept it. I know we need to roll dice, and I know when and how to do it. But I've known it for so long that I have trouble explaining the most basic of assumptions. It's a bit esoteric. And I think it's important to revisit our roots from time to time. And... And there's a staple in the middle of this word. And you'd be doing me a solid. I mean, really, who doesn't want to be more like Jib? So, what is the role of the role? See what I did there? Discuss. Do we want to discuss, or do we want to finish the email? Finish the email, and then we'll discuss it. He says break for discussion of beer, refill before gaming success story. We'll tell you when we're going to break. Wow. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. I, tell I you think we're all like broken before we ever started this. <laughs> After more than a year of play with a break over the holidays, another break so that I could descend into a whiskey-soaked, self-pitying mess before eventually realizing I'm better off, my friend finished a campaign. That's right. Our campaign survived not one, but two hiatuses, and eventually concluded with multiple rousing speeches, a mass battle, solved backstory mysteries, and a totally epic player death. I told a fellow GM about it, and his response was, Really? I didn't know any of our actually finished campaigns. Congrats. That's like having a kid. We need cigars! (laughs) After the question about how to create epic character deaths in episode 12, 6, or 7, I felt the need to share the story. 
one of my players literally leapt at the chance to have an epic death. System? Savage Worlds. Situation? All PCs have at least two round, two wounds. All minions, <laughs> all minions on both sides are dead or dying. Evil Wizard has two wounds. The Amnesiac Gunslinger realizes the wizard is the arch nemesis. Is his. Oh, I'm sorry. Is his arch nemesis. Sorry. <laughs> Somebody remembers it. <laughs> well, is it? Wait, wait. Who are you again? Hey, wait. Oh, wait. Oh. Wait a minute. I do know you. So, <laughs> as Amnesiac, he did say that Gunslinger realizes the wizard is his arch nemesis. They face off. The wizard moves. The wizard moves to death magic punch the gunslinger into oblivion. Then the rogue interrupts. Wait! I have a joker. <laughs> GM. Shit. Um, okay. Are you going to interrupt? Rogue. I still have some grenades, right? GM. Yep. <laughs> rogue. So, can I pull the pin, jump between the gunslinger and the wizard, shove it in the wizard's mouth or armor or something like that, and hold it there? GM. Yes. It's almost certain to kill you, though. Rogue. Yeah, that's okay. This is, like, the most evil dude ever. Literally. I'm gonna do it. Gunslinger. But I've been waiting to kill this bastard for a thousand years! <laughs> Rogue. Remember me and take care of Viola. Of my- <laughs> He's a Viola. Go! Run, you fools! Run, you fools! <laughs> He passed his agility and grapple checks and gleefully rolled his 6d6 worth of damage dice, several of which exploded. Cue soundboard rimshot. Uh, oh, the rimshot. Yeah. Rogue and wizard were both annihilated. Or, or do you want an explosion? <laughs> oh. It wasn't the epic PC death I was expecting. The gunslinger was saved at the last moment, but that made it even more awesome. I think that if a player wants to have an epic death, that's as much their responsibility as it is the GM's. An epic death is an opportunity to be a hero in a way the PCs are ordinarily too self-preserving to be. To be. R.I.P. Vianno. Next up, super gritty post-apocalyptic game in Savage Worlds. I believe that... that bleh, bleh. I believe that it can be done without too much hacking. I'm stealing the gritty damage from Realms of Cthulhu and oh, using lots of tokens and cards to track money and equipment. I'll let you know how it goes. Drink! It'll go really well. Yeah, it will. So, what, what did he ask? Okay. <clears throat> oh, to, to the gamer curious girlfriend. Yes. Actually, I happened to be listening to Useless Drivel today. They did an interview with Mike Olson last week. And Mike Olson uh, uttered what I think is the seminal statement on this point. Oh, my. Okay. Seminal. We roll the dice. When you and I disagree about the outcome, that's when we roll the dice. That might be a tad Maybe. overly philosophical. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think we use the dice when we want to have a fair... But if you and I agree about the about what happens next, right? there's no dice to be rolled. That, now, that's more true in some systems <laughs> than others, I think, because there's a lot of standardized expectations in some systems. You know, I, I, but I do, I do know, I have noticed that over the years, like even in the evolution of D&D from earlier editions to later editions, it got to the point where, you know, it used to be you made a roll for anything where it was relevant, and then later on it was, if they're going to succeed anyway, don't bother rolling. Right, yeah. You know, so th- there was that evolution. I, I, I do like that. Yeah, but the whole take a 10, take a you know, 20 thing. 
Yeah, I don't. Yeah, obviously. Well, okay. You know. Let's break it down. What is? What are the dice used for? I mean, they're it's a randomizer. Well, it's randomizer, it, it's right. a randomizer, but it's. And but why it, do you have a randomizer? Well, to determine an impartial result. I, I, well, yes, partially, but also to maybe attempt something that you wouldn't normally be able to do. So. For any given task... That isn't a sure thing. That yeah. isn't a sure thing, exactly. Jumping over a pit, climbing a wall, whatever. Now, I, I, playing with Stu, has, he has a great way. He will let you describe things up to a point. And he goes, you know what? You're going to have to make a dice roll for that. And that's when that randomizer comes into play. And it usually comes up to the point where you're like, so I want to start to climb the wall. All right, you need to make a dice roll for that. Or you start climbing the wall about halfway up. He goes, you know... All right, I for, yeah. Now, so... That it's a randomizer. It's a chance for you to try something, to try and fail something you're not good at. Uh, in anything, be it a social interaction, or a physical or a combat thing. You know, very often when I ask for a role like that, just a little bit of insight, it is because I've come up with some an interesting thing that might happen if that role fails. So mm-hmm. I want I, I want the opportunity to to see if I can make that happen. That's fair. <laughs> No, but that's what the randomizer kind of is and for. I, it, it, of, of the many uses of them. Yeah. I mean, well, look at it this way, too. I mean, I don't know how to fight with a sword, so I have to rely on dice rolls in order to get my character to do that. However, I'm pretty good at talking. Oh, this brings us back to the social skill. This you is know, I, well, I was just about to say, you know, I don't want to pick illustrated on... why yeah. I say that we have <laughs> social skills for exactly the same reason we have combat skills. I, I don't want to pick on the scab, but I'll bet you anything... That when they expected her to roll the die, it wasn't during combat. Yeah. She's probably talking to someone and trying to convince them of something, yeah, or some other sort of so- social mechanic thing. And they're I all buy like, that. "I'll bet you that's something what that, happened." Something that lacked a simple pass fail response, and, right? And I, I would also assert that that was a a GM fail moment. You got a player who's going along doing their thing. They're talking to people. They're trying to convince people, mm-hmm. and you've decided a dice roll is, is called for at this point. It's like, um, roll me, roll your persuasion skill. Let's see how that plays out. Now, but, randomizers can be overused as well. I mean, I was totally. I was playing a traveler game not too long ago, and I had to roll for everything: opening doors and seeing if I could move quietly and hiding in the shadows and opening doors. I mean, like picking locks. Or no, it was like doors. no to see if you could find the the hand scanner to open the door. No, my, your hands are greasy. You can't get the good grip on the knob. <laughs> it was a traveler game, so it was more. It was a little more than that, but yes. It, and and I actually pointed out to the GM at the end. He goes, "Yeah, yeah, I know." It can be kind of a crutch for a GM. <clears throat> Which is the, just roll for that, roll that, for that, roll for that. That is a habit I've had to break in myself. Sorry, Eric. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, no, I was just I was going to say something. I'm sure that you, you would agree with that. In, in keeping with uh, Jib's original statement about you know the, the purpose of the dice, you, what you want to consider as a game master is if I'm going to have somebody make a roll for this, do I really think it's appropriate that they fail this attempt to do this thing? You know, if if you're if you're having people roll to find the damn hand scanner to open the door, what's going to happen when they fail? They have to try again. They have right. to try again. That's you know, we're kind of what happened. Our hand they never That's get out of the important. room. Right. I, mean, I guess if something is chasing them or beating on them, it's important. But in most situations, it's just not going to matter. Right. Here's a here's a question for you though, as far as the role of the role is concerned. Is it important in uh, in your experiences with, with running games? Is it important to reduce the die rolls as much as possible, or do the die rolls play 
a more important role than that in terms in terms of the relationship with the uh, the feel of the game. You know, I wrote the the game system that I'm working on specifically has a reward mechanic built into it that the players can only earn if the GM asks them to make a roll and they choose to fail it. And the reason I use that mechanic is to get GMs to stop asking for so many rolls. Because I well, think I, generally most of us ask for too many. And I think a lot of players are accustomed to that too. I noticed yes. when I started running an online game for listeners a couple years ago, I had a, a couple people come into the game who were trying to answer questions by picking up the dice. You know that that was the, they said they, that was the, the their more frequent thing was can I make this roll or okay what do I have to roll to do that and I'm sitting here just just tell me what the hell you're doing yeah right you know we'll decide whether or not a roll is necessary I'll I've, decide what it is you don't worry about that part yeah <laughs> I, I've run into that many times where uh, somebody you know, like a classic example is you walk into a room um, I'm gonna roll my search skill I got a twenty four what did I find oh can I roll a search skill oh can I roll a search skill <laughs> see that, yeah that that problem that's the we had um, Shane Hensley on years ago, and we asked him about the dice mechanic, and, and he said that he came up with a dice mechanic because players like to roll lots of dice. I don't remember exactly what the context of the question was, but that was the statement he made. I don't, I don't know if you remember Players that. like to roll dice. Players they like do. to roll lots of dice. And, and there's a validity to that, I guess. I maybe, mean, that's, there, that's maybe there is, maybe there isn't, because a couple years later, or maybe a year and a half later or something, we were talking about something... And I don't even remember what it was, but we were some topic came up, and I talked about well, players like to roll dice, and everyone looked at me like I was crazy. Who said that? <laughs> Do you remember what that? I don't even remember well, what it was. It, the context. I, I don't remember. Was. I remember the conversation. And then on the forum, everyone's telling me I'm crazy. Players <laughs> do like to roll dice when they're meaningful. Well, I, well, which speaks to the Munchkins, the Power Gamers, and the Grognards. They have built characters that rely on dice mechanics to, to own games. That is because they don't have the ability to roleplay. But it, they love to roll dice. I don't want to get disparaging. I'm sorry. That was I don't want to get disparaging. Well, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily going to disparaging, but they certainly know how to build a character and build an effective character and based that, on yeah. dice rolls. Well, uh, consider, too, that, I mean, Shane's statement about it, may have been directly proportional to uh, the popularity of a game like Savage Worlds, where what really you've got is players enjoy rolling dice when it's fun to roll them. Right. And uh, Savage Worlds, with its exploding dice and uh, easy mechanic for success, actually makes a lot of die rolls. It makes them either really tense or really exciting. Right. Jackpot! You win something! I got an exploded dice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or or Benny the fuck out of that until I get an explosion, or right. I, I don't have any Bennies. This die matters so much, and all you're doing is dropping a four-sider on the table. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of dynamic to it in that particular game. And Hero hits me the same way because the the exciting die rolls are the ones that where people get to roll eight or ten or twelve d six worth of damage on something. Yeah, when the brick you knocks know, a guy through a building and you get to start rolling damage for you know flying through the building. Absolutely. Okay, I've got to I've got to. I've got to talk about what the forum is talking about. I forgot to set up the Q&A thing, and James is in the chat room having a shit fit. He's like, <laughs> ah! I was the G-plus comments. Because he says, yes, GMs way too often do ask for too many rolls. Mm-hmm. Player, is there a fireplace in the room? GM, roll a perception check. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. We've even done it. I've done it. I've done it. <laughs> and I mean, that, and that, that's why I came up with that mechanic. And 
yeah. the, me- the mechanic has is has has this huge narrative impact, which is which can create a nightmare for a GM. Saved us in one game. Yeah, it it, it, it punishes the GM every time he asks for it. He like forgets and asks for, everyone make a perception roll. We don't. We all got fail. four people at the table. Three of them are going to go. As a G- I fail. As give a G- me my thing. As a GM, it's a uh, it's a, it's the equivalent of um in a conversation. Um, it is. It's a stalling tactic. It is very often while I you think. try to think if there should, really should be a fireplace in that room or not. Right. So uh, everybody make a roll. Meanwhile, you're like, fuck. If I put that's a fireplace right, in this room, right. I, I'm constantly playing with dice. I do. I do that all the time. And, and, I'm, I'm always rolling dice. And I very often I'm looking at them. And it's like okay, and I'm I'm trying to figure out what might happen, and uh, I'll look down. Do I see high numbers or low numbers? I'm not. I don't have anything specific in my head, but yeah, I'll do that myself just to kind of give me like sort of this little random thing to kind of shake stuff up, so I can decide on a direction. Because it doesn't for for me, it, it could go either way. And it doesn't matter. So or I'll, or when the player asks. Is there a fireplace in the room? You can ask them if they want there to be a fireplace in the room. Right. No, no. Oh, I, I, nine out of ten times, I'm going to say. I was waiting yes. for Eric to crack up over that one. <laughs> I would just say yeah, yes. He, 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 that, that, there's been a huge discussion on our show that's gone on for weeks off and on because people keep writing about it, too. But uh, Jib ran a fake game for my wife and I and a couple of our other listeners a while back, and he gets to this point in the game. If we're trying to fade out for the first time, Gets to the point of the game where my my wife, who is she's she's on our show, you know, she's a pretty insightful and introspective person when it comes to gaming, and very character driven, very into the the traditional model of role playing games. Here, says because we're on a, like an airship. Says are the clouds to the northeast, and he's like, do you want there to be? My wife has a fucking come apart. <laughs> <laughs> she you're she the game totally vapor lost to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, that's the weird thing about fate. It no, really, it really it has does nothing to do with fate. Well, but it does. It does put the onus on the on the players fate to illustrate it nicely. Yes. Yeah. There's a couple other comments in the forum. Very quickly. First off, uh, tell Eric that James Lewis says hi. And yes, we do <laughs> sorely miss the G plus question feature. I forgot to to click on it when I started the hangout. Of the many oh. things you click on right before this. It kills me and you can't add it af- after yeah, the fact. It's, it's stupid. It is. Uh, uh Pmaz says that dice do bring tension to the game, which I think I would agree with. There mm-hmm. are very mm-hmm. many times during a game I've seen the entire table huddled huddled over looking at one critical role. Oh yeah. One critical moment. Happens all the time. I, I would point out that one thing that really kind of helped break me a little bit from more die rolling than I probably really wanted to do was uh, starting to play online games. Uh, ironically, when I, I first started playing with a group online, uh, we were using Tabletop Forge before Roll20 was the kind of the big thing. And uh, the dice rolling in it was such a pain in the ass and was public. <laughs> so Broke everybody in their habit. Whatever we can it, do to not use that one. crappy app, fuck off, let's just talk it out. <laughs> I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to call for die rolls if I had to stop and type something in because I wanted to keep the narrative flowing. You know, it, it's not as fast as rolling something on the table and glancing down real quick. So that kind of helped. And, and nowadays, uh, you know, I, we use Roll20 and it really is kind of quick, but 
it still is uh, still is something I prefer to kind of keep in mind. And I, as uh, strangely, when I do online gaming, as very different from my table, mostly because my players demand it of me, I uh, I keep things. Oh, I roll in the open on the online thing where everybody can see it, even though at my table they demand I use a DM screen because my dice hate the players. <laughs> my dice I, don't just, even, I don't even believe in that. My shit. dice just hate me. That's the complaint I get. The GM's dice are trying to kill you. <clears throat> Use a GM screen because we want you to. Because if you roll, if you roll fairly, we're going to get screwed. Yeah, <laughs> we want you to cheat. <laughs> the, the goal, the goal, the, the assumption just kills me. I would never, I would never <laughs> fudge a die roll. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say to bring it back to the whole dice rolling thing is, as a player, sometimes <clears throat> I know that in Stu's um, 4E game, I got so tired of waiting in line for my turn, and so tired of trying to make characterization and stuff because you know i was just i roll the dice to hit all right moving on uh it can become a real crutch for everybody to just start rolling dice i roll dice to i hit i roll dice for my effect did it go off yes all right here's the dice for damage all right moving on uh, it really can break down into numbers i think that the more that you save the dice for special occasions i think the better the game will be uh certain games lend themselves to a lot of dice rolling i mean for e certainly when you're rolling for effect you're rolling for damage you're rolling to hit you're rolling for area you're rolling how much damage outside that area all of that that's a lot of rolling and it, it you know it 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 varies from system to system but uh I got lost in my metaphors. Uh, yeah, the players. <laughs> the players also are guilty of rolling too many dice or wanting to because they're not they're not being proactive bear. enough. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Right. I, I, I think it's pretty subjective still. I mean, everybody's going to handle it a little differently. And, and I, players like to collect dice. All of us yeah, like to collect stack dice. Them. Right. So it's it, crazy. And it wouldn't make any sense if we didn't roll them. Right. At least once in a while. Right. Spent all that money I, and, on and, uh, since you mentioned it, a uh, shout out to James. There, he's uh, he's actually a big uh, big supporter of the con effort. Oh, awesome! He's been he's been promoting it heavily everywhere he can, and he's bought in at a, a pretty decent level to be part of the convention. Which reminds me, before we go, do you want to give us the specifics again for people that came in late after your plug? Uh, absolutely. Although, you know, are there a lot of them that don't listen later? <laughs> oh, no. It, yeah, that, it definitely, we start with the most n- number of people we have streaming because we're on the East Co- or the West Coast, so it's, right. you know, yeah. God knows what time later. it is. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, TsunamiCon 2014. It's happening November 7th, 8th, and 9th in Wichita, Kansas. That's Tsunami with find a T. That on the map. That's Tsunami with a T, not a P, it yeah. turns out. Or or an S. <laughs> Actually, it well, does have an S, it's just not at the beginning. Right. It's like psoriasis yeah. with a T rather than a P. Totally different meaning. Unless you're Welsh. Yeah. And it's it's it's, it's a name that... <laughs> Which there's... Wow. All these syllables crammed up against each other. It's it's a funny name to have for a convention in the middle of, the middle of you know, nowhere near an ocean or anything. We've, uh... We've, uh... <laughs> We, 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 our, our gaming community, it's an, it's an old joke, is called Prismatic Tsunami. You know, a, kind of a, if you're an old, the old school D&D player, you remember the Prismatic Wall, Prismatic Sphere, Prismatic Spray Spells. Uh-huh. Prismatic Wave, prismatic yeah. Tsunami. Right. I, I, the, the tagline at the time was, the slogan was, I was blind, dead, let's see, no, blind, stone, dead, and stuck in Gehenna with 200 of my best friends. <laughs> So, prismatic. It's just kind of stuck. So, TsunamiCon, uh, that's the name everybody knows us by around here, so that's what we're doing. And it's kickstarting right now. 
and we have a lot of reward levels with a lot of goodies, and we have some great swag on there. And if you're if you're a vendor who'd like to come to Wichita and be part of the con, we have a vendor level you can buy on there. Advertising in the program, uh, some sponsorships still, lots of great stuff. And that's uh, at tsunamicon.org/slash/kickstarter. There you go. Awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna close it out. It's awesome. Thanks, sir. When listeners of Happy Jacks on PG Pod. Thank you for joining us for Season 12, Episode 8 of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Jib. This is Stork. This is Eric from Metagamers Anonymous. Uh, thank you for joining us, Eric. We appreciate it. Thank you. And don't forget the Kickstarter. And that's it. And we'll uh, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. And we'll leave you with a song.